Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I often start my sermons with a question, but today I want to do something different. I want to tell you a story. Most of you know me and my wife, Pastor Jan, and we have been happily married for 41 years. Tremendously happily married for 41 years. And some of you know our story, some of you don't, but I just want to tell you how we got together. Um, we were at Bible college. I hadn't met her yet. And there was this church that was having a special college student Sunday. The focus of the sermon and the service was on college students, and they had a special fellowship after service for college students. And so I went, she went, and we kind of met before service, ended up sitting together. And so we're going through the service and worshiping Jesus. The message is being preached, and and, and I kind of reached over and, and touched her hand, and she kind of touched my hand, and we started holding hands. And we got to the end of the service and said, hey, let's go to this fellowship thing together. We went to the fellowship and we kind of, you know, we talked to other people, kind of just talked to each other and everything. And we determined that we loved each other. So as soon as the fellowship was over, we went to the pastor and said, listen, we love each other. We just met today. Would you please marry us right here, right now? You're here. We're here. And we got married that same day. How many of you believe that story? The only thing that's true in that story is we met at Bible college. Okay? Why did you tell such a silly story? It's got a very, very important point. Every significant relationship in our lives is a result of a process. The true story, which I'm not going to tell you the true story. Most of you have heard it. But if you haven't heard it and you want to hear it, talk to Pastor Jan. She'll probably get it better than I will. But anyway is that we did meet at Bible college and we started a friendship and we eventually started dating and we got closer and there was a time that we actually broke up for a, a time period and then we got back together and, and we grew to love each other and I finally popped the question. Don't ask me how and why, how and where I popped the question because I did it all wrong, but she still said yes after a wait of a time of prayer and then we got married. And you know what? It was a process leading up to that wedding day and it's been a process ever since of continuing to grow closer and closer together and it's an active process we have to be involved we have to be deliberate we have to be intentional about about strengthening our relationship that was true leading up to the wedding it's true after the wedding too now the reason i'm telling you all this is because it's going to fit in with what we want to talk about today because all those facts about our relationship and any other significant relationship that you have are true about a person's relationship with Jesus. It's not something that just happens like, boom. There may be a moment in time that you commit your life in Christ. In fact, there will be a moment in time that you commit your life to Christ. But there's a process that leads up to it. And there's a process that follows after it as we continue to work through and grow in that relationship. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Today we're in the third message of a sermon series that we started a couple of weeks ago called um, Encounter Jesus Mission. I thought I had it straight in my head. Encounter Jesus Mission. And we've been talking about what was Jesus' mission. You know, he came, he taught, he preached, he healed, he did all kinds of things. He was crucified, buried, he rose again, descended to heaven. Luke 19.10 says, says that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. He came to this world because mankind was lost, separated from God because of sin. Jesus, God himself, always existing as God from eternity past, came to earth as a man, specifically to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God. So he came to seek and to save the lost. While he was here, he prepared for that. He, he led up to it. He went out and told people that God was intervening in this world. He preached. He taught. He healed people and met their needs. And then, of course, it was culminated by his death on the cross that paid the price for our sins. And then before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, his followers, 12 of whom he named apostles, those that are to be sent out. 
And he says, now that this has happened, you need to go out into the world. Take this good news that people can have a relationship with God because of what I did on the cross. Take it out to the world. And that commission, we talk about Jesus' mission. We are part of the co-mission. It's, it's a, it's, it, we are with him in that mission. It extends all the way to us today that we have a responsibility. If we are followers of Jesus and we have experienced that relationship and made that commitment, then we have the responsibility to be actively involved in helping others to experience what we've experienced. And so we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks. And we said that, you know, a lot of times we know that's what we should do. We feel the burden, the passion, you know, whatever, but we're hesitant. It's not easy. When we maybe work up the whatever to try to do it, we hold back. And why is it? It's because of fear. There are organizations that have kind of done research and said, what, what is it that Christians fear about sharing their faith, about sharing what Jesus has done in their life? And they came up with, with three, three or four main fears. The first one is that we don't want to be confrontational. We don't like arguments. We don't like conflict. We don't want to be perceived as pushy. And a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with that one. We can share our faith without being pushy. In fact, we should share our faith without being pushy. If you're being pushy, you're not doing it right. And we can share our faith without being confrontational and, 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 and aggressive and, and, uh, you know, argumentative. Now, that doesn't mean that every time we have a conversation with someone about Jesus, even if we're doing it right, that they might not get upset or whatever. But if they do, it's time to walk away. Talk about that a little bit more today. So, you know, the whole thing about being concerned about being pushy, that, that's, that's not really totally valid if we go about it the right way. The second fear is people would believe the lie that our enemy would give us is that you can't share the faith because you're not qualified. What do I mean you're not qualified? We talked about this last week. You would say to yourself, you know what? I keep hearing God really wants to use me. God wants to use me to touch other people and maybe lead them to Jesus or share with them about Jesus. But I'm not qualified because. And you can fill in the blank. And there's a lot of things you can fill in your blank with. Because I don't know enough, because um, I haven't got my life all together, because I got stuff I'm re- wrestling with. And, and we talked about that last week. What qualifies us to be able to tell people about Jesus just to be a follower of Jesus ourselves? We don't have to know everything. We don't have to have our lives all together yet because all of us are still in process of getting our lives together. Then some would say, well, I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to say. And that's where we're going to head for this week and next week. Today, we're going to talk about what we should do. And next week, we're going to talk about what we can or should say. So the title of today's message is Encounter Jesus Process. Jesus, I know it sounds kind of technical. It sounds kind of um, sterile. But Jesus gave instructions, and he was the example of the process of things that we can do to be more effective at sharing Jesus with the people around us. And so we want to do that. So as we jump in today, I just want to tell you that the most important point that I've been trying to get across from the very beginning is that starting a relationship with Jesus is a process. Starting a relationship with Jesus is a process. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 5 to 8. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a church that he founded, and he was there for a while, and he helped them to grow, and then he continued to travel around as he did for most of his life to start new churches. Leaders were raised up, and they began to teach. Other people came through, and unfortunately, as was true in many churches in the first century, false teachers came in. People came in who had a different agenda. People came in that were sent by the enemy to disrupt and to cause conflict. And unfortunately, this church, more than any other that we have record in the New Testament, had more problems than any other church. They had all kinds of terrible problems going on. And one of them was a great divisiveness within the church. They weren't in unity. You had the poor looking down on the rich and this group against that group and that group against this group. And one of the divisions they had was their favorite preacher. 
There's a group that says, Paul's my favorite preacher. He's the one that planted this church. He's the one that started it. He's my favorite preacher. Somebody else will say, well, Peter's my favorite preacher. Whether Peter had ever come by there or they just knew that he was the primary disciple, don't know. Peter's their favorite preacher. Another guy, a great guy that God had sent to the church was Apollos, and he was a great teacher. They said, oh, we're for, we're for Apollos. And then the real spiritual one says, nope, it's just Jesus. Just me and Jesus. Jesus is the greatest. But they allowed themselves to be divided And so as Paul's writing this letter, he's dealing with all these problems and all these issues and all these divisiveness. And so we're going to jump in here in verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? This is the great guy God used to teach. What's Paul? Just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Here Paul is using a uh, an illustration, a life situation that most everybody in their culture could understand to teach a truth. Jesus used the same thing. And that is that a relationship with God is like an agricultural process. Seeds are planted. Then there is nourishment in the soil. There's the rain that comes down. There's the sunshine. Hopefully you don't get too much. You may recognize some of these little facts from Jesus' parable about the soils and the seed. But he says, and then it germinates and it sprouts and it grows. And again, hopefully it doesn't get too much rain or too much sunshine because that can cause the plant to not become healthy. But it grows and it grows and it grows. And finally it bears fruit. And he says, listen, that's what your relationship is like with God. I came and I planted the church. That's Paul saying, you know, I I planted some seeds. I got it started. In the process, along the way, other people came along, including Apollos, who was a great teacher. And he was involved in the process that helped you grow closer to Jesus. And once you came to know Jesus, to help you grow beyond that to a mature, more mature person. He says, but 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 who's most important? Neither one. God's the one that's most important because he's the one that sent us. We're only working for him. We're only doing what he wants us to do. And God is the one that actually does the work in your heart and in your life and brings about that relationship and that growth. So again, the emphasis here is that starting, maintaining, continuing a relationship with Jesus is a process. It's a process. Going back to my opening false story about how my wife and I met and got married all within the space of a couple of hours. It wasn't true. We are, The reason I told that so silly is because sometimes one of the things that really uh, throws us off when we think about the idea of sharing our faith with others is that we feel like that's what it is to share our faith with Jesus. God leads us or forces us or puts us in contact with somebody who's a stranger or somebody we don't know well or even somebody we know well and within about 5 or 10 or 15 minutes we've got to share with them about Jesus and who he is and what the scripture says and you're a sinner and you need a savior blah 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 blah. are you ready to pray? And that that's evangelism. That's sharing my faith. That's the gospel. Now can I tell you that God can put us in situations where we meet someone or are having a conversation with someone whether we don't know them or we do know them and they've already been prepared by other people and by God's word and by God's spirit working in their heart so that you may be the one to have just a brief conversation with them and have the privilege of introducing them to Jesus and them say a prayer so we need to be ready for that but you got to realize even in that situation it's the result of a process and the point I really want to hammer home today as we've been talking for several weeks about being used by God to help people come to know Jesus Christ, is that we just need to be ready to be part of the process. Every time we have the opportunity to share with somebody about Jesus, to be a good example, whatever, it doesn't necessarily going to mean that it's going to end with a prayer. It means that I'm planting another seed. I'm watering a seed that's there. I'm shining a little bit of light. You know, Jesus said, we're the light of the world. You know, part of that is the brightness of the truth getting out there, but also the light that that helps the the, the plants, the the seeds to germinate. There's just so many different illustrations we could use. 
in that picture of how God wants to use us. So we just need to be ready to be used as part of that process. Our involvement in other people's relationship with Jesus. For some, we're just planting seeds. For some, we're watering. For some, we are shining the light. Then we get possibly the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus and they come to know him. And can I tell you that the process doesn't stop there? And our involvement in the process doesn't stop there. And that's where we see a whole nother area of teaching in the New Testament that after we've come to know Jesus and we have other people in our lives that know Jesus is we still work as part of that process to help each other grow. That's why it's so important that we have close relationships with other believers because God uses each other to help each other grow in that relationship that we have established. Let me ask you a question. Probably most of you that are here today and most of you that are watching online have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You recognize your need for a Savior. You, you came to God and you asked Him for forgiveness because of what Jesus did and you've committed your life to Him. So of those of you who have committed your life to Christ, as you look back to that moment when you made that commitment, how many of you made that commitment within just one conversation of hearing about Jesus and deciding, I want to follow Jesus? In other words, you heard the truth and you immediately committed your life to Christ. How many of you? Just that one episode, that one conversation. I don't see any hands. How many of you would say that, you know, my discovering and moving into and committing my life to Christ was a result of a period of time over years? I've had conversations. Maybe you had a parent or a grandparent that would tell you about Jesus when you were a kid, you know, or you were taken to church. You got you had input into your life from God's word or whatever. Maybe you had somebody that really cared about you and they had a number of conversations with you. And then eventually you got to the point where you committed your life to Christ. How many would say that was true for you? Pretty much everybody, right? Pretty much everybody. So are we willing to be part of the process? Are we willing to take a step of faith to be used by Jesus to touch somebody else's life, knowing that this is just one more possibly small step along the process that's going to lead them to that place where they're ready to surrender their life to Christ? And this is so important, too, because, you know, sometimes people will take that step to share their faith and then it seems like nothing happens. And they get discouraged and they say, you know what, I'm not going to try anymore. Obviously, God doesn't use me to do that. And I just feel like maybe I'm talking to some people right now with this. There may be some of you that, you know what, at one time you really were more active and aggressive about talking to people about Jesus, but you stopped because you thought it wasn't doing any good. You didn't really see any results. You didn't really see any evidence of that person or those people having any desire to have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you what? You were part of the process. Don't give up. There may be some people that they're just seed planters their whole life. They may never, ever, ever have that privilege of actually introducing someone to Jesus at the point where they're ready to commit their life, but they've been so involved in planting seeds all along that there's, they have a very, very important part in the process. Can I tell you, every part of the process is important. It's important because for most people, it takes so many contacts, so many people over a period of time before they get to the point of like, you know what, I think I am ready to commit my life to Christ. We find some examples of Jesus' process in Scripture. First of all, we see Jesus himself. Now, I didn't ask you to turn here, and you certainly don't need to, but let me read to you from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And here we have Jesus in the process he used when he came to earth and start this thing, whole thing off. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here we have a good summary of what Jesus did. He came 
to preach the gospel. He came to talk about the kingdom of God that was breaking into human history through him. In the process, he healed people and he met people's needs. But he also told his followers, he says, listen, we need more people to do this. Pray that God will send forth laborers into the harvest. And he made it very, very clear, very, very quickly that they were going to be some of those that would go, that they would be some of those that God would use to take this good news to the world, actually, before it was all over with. It'd be very easy to look at Jesus and say, well, that's Jesus, though. I mean, Jesus came. Jesus was God. Jesus could heal people. You know, he caught people's attention. But we see that Jesus passed that down. We see the next example of his process in the 12 apostles. I ask you to turn to Luke 10. I'm going to look there in just a moment. But one chapter before that, in Luke 9, if you want to flip there, since you're already in 10, you can. But at the very beginning of Luke chapter 9, it says, And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then you can read a little bit further on, and it says that he sent them out, and they went through all these villages preaching the gospel, and Jesus gave them power to heal, and they began to share what Jesus was doing and how God was getting ready to interrupt into the, 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 the uh, into history, you know, and accomplish his plans and purposes and establish his kingdom. So we see it wasn't just Jesus. He sent the 12. And again, it'd be very easy to say, well, that's, you know, we see the 12 doing the same thing Jesus did. They went out. They went from place to place to place. They're talking about the kingdom. They're preaching about the kingdom. You know, they're, they're meeting people's needs just like Jesus did. But you know what? Those 12 apostles... Jesus eventually called them, uh, uh, Jesus, those 12 disciples that Jesus named apostles, which means sent ones. It's like they're the higher level. I mean, that's not just the everyday people. That's sort of like today talking about the pastors and the missionaries and the evangelists. You know, that's, that's not me. And that brings us to our passage, our main passage, Luke chapter 10. I'd ask you to turn there, Luke chapter 10. Because, you see, Jesus didn't just go himself as God. And he didn't just send his key leaders. But he basically said, all of you go. All of you go. In Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 12, we're going to work our way through that. We see these 72 disciples that Jesus sends out. These aren't the 12. These aren't the inner circle. These are just everyday followers. Basically, Jesus says, this is something we can all do. This is something we should all do. They would be compared to just lay people, everyday followers of Jesus. You and I, well, you might say, not me, not, not you, pastor, because you're a pastor, but all of you who aren't a pastor, you're not an evangelist, you're not, but you're just a follower of Jesus. We see ourselves in this picture of the 72. So we're going to work our way through just the first part of Luke chapter 10, and we're going to see some important steps in Jesus' process. Jesus gives instructions to these 72 disciples about going out and making a difference in their world. And I can tell you that even though we may not relate to every little detail of the cultural significantly things that he's talking about here, the principles are still true for us today. As we go out into our world, in our families, in our family gatherings, uh, in our communities, in our workplace, in our school. These are things that are part of the process that Jesus taught to his disciples that we can apply in our lives to make a difference in other people's lives for Jesus. So let's jump in and take a look at them, okay? And most of these steps are mentioned in Matthew 9 when it talks about Jesus or Luke 9 when it talks about the 12. And if they're not mentioned, they're also implied. So here's the first one. Go where Jesus is going. Go where Jesus is going. If you look at our passage in Luke chapter 10, in verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord, Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, jump down to verse 3. I'm going to deal with verse 2, actually, at the end. He says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of of wolves. We'll come back to that particular verse. But it says, this is kind of in the middle of Jesus' ministry and what he's doing. And he says, he gets his followers here, he says, okay, I'm going to send you out. You guys go out two by two. 
I want you to go into towns and villages. He probably had a list. He told him exactly where to go. He says, I'm going to be visiting there soon. I want you to go to prepare the way. So Jesus sent them to prepare the way for himself. So the first principle that we see for our lives, if we want to be used by God to lead people toward Jesus, to make a difference in their life, is we need to go where Jesus is going. Where is Jesus going to go? You say, well, I don't know where that is. I mean, Jesus isn't even here in this earth in a physical way anymore. I mean, he's promised to be with us if we're a follower of Jesus. When he gave the Great Commission, he says, I've got all authority. I'm sending you out. I'm going to be with you as you go. How do I know where Jesus is going? Well, let me just give you a little clue here. If Jesus lives within us, where is Jesus going? Wherever we go. The reason I worded this principle the way it is go where Jesus is going is I wanted us to realize that wherever we go, Jesus goes. And the people that we come in contact with and the people that we interact with are people that Jesus loves and that Jesus is working in their hearts and their lives. Scripture tells us that God's Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and their lives and that Jesus wants to work through us and that we need to see ourselves as Jesus' ambassadors. In fact, Paul said that. I didn't put the Scripture in here. That we are Christ's ambassadors to the world. So I would like for us, and I I need to do the same thing for myself, to get into the mindset that as I go out into my world to do what I'm going to do today, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to be in the community, I'm going to go to Walmart, I'm going to go to Winn-Dixie, that God, wherever I go, help me to realize that you're going with me. And that there may be people, I'm going to come in contact with people I don't even know, but people I may rub shoulders with and have conversations with every single day and you're at work in their life, and you want to use me to have some kind of an impact on them. Through something I say, through something I do, the kind of character I have, the way I conduct myself in this world. Matthew 28, verse 19, is the passage where Jesus gives the great commission. He talks about, I have all authority, Now go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That word for go isn't just a command like get out there and do it. But the way it is worded in the original language is as you are going, wherever you go, as you go through life, be aware that I want to use you to help make disciples. So a sub point here I want to tell you is that wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. Now, we get down to the verse 3. And Jesus says this thing that we like, what does that mean? It says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Think about this. You've never maybe seen, probably haven't ever seen a lamb with a wolf. But you probably know enough about lambs and wolves. If you got a lamb and you got a wolf and they get into a fight, who's going to (laughs) win? The wolf. How does that make you feel about Jesus saying, I'm going to send you out like lambs in the midst of wolves? Do we got some volunteers say, I'm more eager now than ever to go out there and do this thing? Why in the world did Jesus say that? Well, he was just trying to emphasize that, you know, as God's people, you know, we're supposed to be gentle. We're supposed to be all that kind of stuff that you might would think about a lamb. But going out into this world can be very, very dangerous. But can I tell you what? There is a certain circumstance under which if you got a fight between a lamb and a wolf that the lamb is going to win every single time. Anybody have a clue as to what I'm talking about? When I'm talking about? I see a couple hands. When you got a lamb and a wolf together and the circumstance, circumstance where the lamb's going to win every time is when the shepherd is with the lamb. I think of the story of David and Goliath. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And David volunteers to fight Goliath. And Saul Saul says, how can you do that? And and David was a shepherd. He says, well, you know what? I was watching the sheep. And there have been several times that there comes a lion. There comes a bear. He didn't mention a wolf, but maybe a wolf. He says, and God enabled me to kill him because the shepherd was there. And so can I tell you that there may be times that we go out into the world. We may feel a little bit tremulous. We may feel a little bit overwhelmed. We may feel like, I don't know if I can do this. 
you know, this is, this is not an easy thing to do. Can I tell you that your shepherd is with you? And you may be going out like a lamb in the midst of wolves, but your shepherd is with you. You don't have anything to fear. The second, uh, the second thing in this process, the second important, important step in Jesus' process is focus on offering God's peace to people. As you go through life, be an agent of peace. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Basically, he's saying as you go out into your world, as you seek to be used by God, be someone who brings God's peace, who offers God's peace. Now, we think of peace means, you know, we think of peace with the connotation of there's a problem and it stops and we stop it somehow or whatever. But the word peace has a long and rich history throughout Scripture in the Old Testament world and the Old Testament culture. And that world word, peace, when you offered somebody peace, that's how people greeted one another. They still do in the Middle East. Shalom. You've heard that before, right? It's peace. It basically means God's peace be on you. And that peace means not just that you're not in turmoil inside, you don't have problems with other people, but it means all of God's blessings, all of God's good. That's what I wish for you. Can I tell you that if we want to make an impact on other people's lives, that's what we should wish for people. We know they need a Savior, but we want to bring to them the good news of peace. Now, it's true that when we bring the good news, there is a little bit of bad news. We need the good news because of the bad news. We need a Savior because we have problems with sin. We need something to get us in connection with God because we're not connected with God. But the whole focus is the good news that people can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So focus on offering God's peace to people. If you develop a reputation as someone who doesn't mind talking about Jesus or or what Jesus has done in your life, if, if other people could then kind of give a report back about what that's like, would they say, yeah, they've always, they're always really positive about what Jesus has done for them and what he wants to do for me? Or would they be like, man, I hate to see him come walking up because he's going to tell me what a dirty, rotten sinner I am and I'm headed to hell and this, that. No, no. We have to deal with some of those issues and we'll talk about that next week. But we're coming because we want them to experience God's peace. The third thing, prioritize relationships. Prioritize relationships. Look at verses 7 and 8. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now, this is specifically talking about these disciples are going to travel from town to town. They're going to lodge in a certain house for as long as they're there. So that's not necessarily something we relate to. But I want you to notice a couple of things. That this particular, this particular type of ministry Jesus is talking about and the instructions he's giving to them has nothing to do with going into a town, setting up in a town square and beginning to preach the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. He's not telling them to go into the town and go to the local synagogue and ask for the opportunity to speak to the people gathered. Nothing wrong with that. This set of instructions is focused specifically on developing relationship within the home. And that's the thing I want us to emphasize is that, you know, the gospel is not just preached by a preacher from a platform. The gospel is not just shared as, um, you know, momentary conversations, but it comes in the context of relationship. And Jesus says, as I'm sending you into these towns, yeah, you want to make an, as big of an impact as you can, but start with one home. Develop a relationship. He talks about eating meals. In their culture, you did not eat a meal with somebody unless you were in relationship with them. Because if you offered to eat a meal with somebody, it basically was you saying, you know what, I think you're a pretty cool person. I'd love to see our relationship grow stronger. Let's eat a meal together. So focus and prioritize on relationship. We see that even Jesus, when he traveled and he ministered, I mean, he was traveling all the time. He didn't have a lot of time to develop close personal relationships except for the, with the disciples that followed with him. And he did that with them. But even when he was ministering to a crowd of people, we've talked about this before, you can see he took time with them one-on-one. -on -one. He prayed for them one at a time. There's the story in Luke when this great crowd comes to him at nighttime and he's praying and he's up late because he's taking this time one-on-one. -on -one. The passage we read in Matthew 9, it says, why did Jesus do what he did? He was filled with compassion because he saw these people in need. 
harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were sheep without a shepherd. He wanted to be their shepherd. He developed a relationship. And can I tell you that the most effective way that we can be used by Jesus in this world to help bring them to where they can come to know Jesus and even beyond that, as we help each other grow closer to Jesus, is through close relationship. Developing relationship. As I said, God may use you to share the gospel with a stranger sometime. But in most cases, he wants to use you through the relationships that you develop. Through the relationships you developed. I asked a little survey earlier. Let me ask another one. As you look back to how you came to know Christ, think of the primary influences that led you to that. Now, you may have made that commitment in response to a message at an altar, whatever. You may have been by yourself. But all the influences that were leading up to that in your life, for how many of you were you primarily influenced by people that you knew well and that you loved and they, you knew they loved you? How many would say that's true? A great majority. I shared this story that I came to know Christ through my mom. You know? Many times it's because of our friends, because of our family members, because of people that have talked with us and shared with us and prayed for us, sometimes over years. So we need to prioritize relationships and really care about people. And again, this is a side note from what we're talking about today, but this just illustrates how important it is that if we're a follower of Jesus and we really want to grow close to him, it's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and us. We need each other. If you really want to grow closer to the Lord and you want to grow stronger in your relationship with him, yes, you've got to have that time that's just you and him. But we do that in community. We do that in relationship. You need to have close relationships with other believers, spending time with them. That's why small groups are so important. We've got a number of them. We want to develop some more small groups where people can just get together, you know, because in a setting like this where you've got rows, we can hear God's word. We can respond to it. That's great. We can be taught. We can learn. But to really grow, we need to be, as some people say, in circles. We need to be in a place where we're communicating. We're talking with one another. We're building one another up. Where iron sharpens iron. Where we're strengthening one another in our relationship with the Lord. The fourth thing we see in here, and, and just so you know, so you kind of count down, we got seven of them, okay? The fourth one is meet needs. Meet needs, and I just want to add a little bit. Meet needs to the extent that you can. You can't meet every need. You can't do certain things, but there are certain things you can do. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, heal the sick. In it, talking about the town and the home. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Now, Jesus literally physically healed people. And Jesus gave his followers, both the 12 disciples and the 72, power to literally physically heal people. We don't have that same assurance that every single person we pray for is going to be healed right then and there. And that's not necessarily bad. But I do want to tell you that God still heals today. So even though we may not be able to talk with someone who is sick and said, I want you to meet my Jesus, he's made a change in my life, and he will heal you right now if I pray for you. Now, if God tells you that, he can do that. But you can still be used to say, God wants to work in your life, and I would love to pray with you. But the words that are used there for heal the sick, um, that's the, the way they're most often um, in, in, uh, translated, but they can also mean to serve the weak. In other words, the idea is to do what you can do about people who are in need. To do what you can do about people who have a weakness or an illness or a sickness. And it may not be even a physical one. It may be a mental one. It may be a spiritual one. It may be an emotional one. And so that broadens out a whole lot more to what we might be capable of doing that as we develop relationship and our goal is to have an impact in people's lives and hopefully influence them to come to know Jesus, that we want to do what we can to help meet their needs by praying for them, by talking with them, by caring about them, by spending time with them. So we meet needs. We need to be thinking about as we walk in our relationship is what needs does this person have that I can be a part of seeing that need met? What brokenness is here that maybe I can be part of the healing process? And you know, God can use that in our 
desire to introduce them to Jesus. My wife was um, watching or listening to a teaching by John Maxwell, who's a longtime pastor, but also a leader and a leader of leaders and a trainer of leaders. And he was talking about sharing his faith with Jesus. And, and I don't remember the exact words. And so I may go home and say, you didn't get that exactly right. That's okay. I may not get exactly right. But let me give you the principle that's here. He says that one of the ways that he loves to try to start introducing the people to Jesus is he's talking to them. And they've got needs. There's a lot they're going through. And so he'll say something to them like this. But can I tell you that if you're going to say that, it has to be true. He sees that their life is full of turmoil. And he'll say something like, you know, I really wish that you could know the source of peace that I have in my heart. And then they say, well, what, what's the source of your peace? He says, it's because of the difference Jesus has made in my life. You know, you seem really, really worried. I wish you could know the assurance that I have that everything's going to be okay. Well, how do you have that assurance? It's because of Jesus and the impact he's had in my life. Or people that are going through life, they have nothing to live for and say, you know, I really wish you could know the source of hope that I have. That I do look forward to the future and that, yeah, there's problems, but well, what is the source of your hope? Because of what Jesus. You see how that could work for any need, but you gotta be able to tell the truth. You gotta be finding your hope and your joy and your peace in Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, if you're a believer and you don't have those things, the devil's robbing you. The devil's robbing you. Let's go on to number five. Share the good news. The end of verse 9, he says, Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, so they don't have the whole gospel story to share. But we need in these developing these relationships and trying to meet needs, all that kind of stuff, to be ready and willing to share the truth. And that's where we're going to go next week, so we're not going to pause long here. But if you're like, I don't really know how to share the truth and what I should share, we're going to make it very, very simple next week, and I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Okay? Number six. Back off when the time is not right. I think the devil loves it when we're trying to share our faith and then all of a sudden we get into an argument and then we have more of a negative witness and a negative example than a positive one. Because we get our feelings all hurt and they're attacking us so we attack them back. And No. Lovingly share the truth and if they're not open and they put up a wall, back off at least for a little while. Look at verses um, 10 to 12. He says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than on that town. Now, this we can't totally relate to. There was a Jewish culture, that a uh, cultural situation where if you went somewhere and you were rejected and you were doing God's business or whatever, you just said, you know what? I've done my part. I wipe, basically, I, I wipe my hands of it and you're in God's hands now. Now, please understand that Jesus' intent here is not to be vindictive, not to be vengeful, like I did my bit. God's going to zap you now. I really think because we know what Jesus' heart like and what our heart should be like. Okay, I just tried to share the truth with you. And I think it should give us even greater compassion and greater burden to really pray for them because they put up such a wall, because they've rejected it. But we back off. We back off. For the time being. For the time being. And that leads us to the last one. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up sharing. We go back to verse 2. I told you I was going to come to that before I got to the end. He said, He said, Then the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. Don't give up. Don't give up on the individuals that put up a wall that reject whatever. Just keep praying. And when the door is open to share again, do it. But don't be pushy. If God's really working in their heart and you're following his lead, he very well will give you another opportunity. But keep praying. Pray that God will use you. Pray in the morning, God, how do you want to use me today? Pray for the people you've already developed relationship with. Pray for new people. Pray that God will open up doors. Pray that God will, will help you recognize opportunities when they come and you'll step through it. Pray that God will give you ideas on how you can introduce, and we'll talk more about that next week, introduce Jesus into conversations. I've shared this before, but one of the things my wife and I do is whenever we go out to eat, when our server comes, takes our order, say, hey, in a few minutes we're going to be praying over our food. Is there anything we can pray with you about? 
And we've never got a negative, about the most negative response. Because, no, I'm good. Of course, they know they don't want to give you a negative response. You're not going to give them a tip. By the way, you should tip really good. You know, pray for them and then leave them a lousy tip. That doesn't leave a very good uh, witness. That's a whole other issue. But keep praying and pray that God will raise up more people to share the gospel. Keep sharing with those you've already shared with when the doors open. So as we wrap this up today, I want to restate the main thought here. Growing in a relationship with Jesus is a process. It's a process. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on out. I think you're about ready anyway. Growing in a relationship with Jesus is a process. And, 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 and two questions I want to ask you to consider as we wrestle with what Jesus has said through his word today. Where are you in that process? Where are you in the process of growing in a relationship with Jesus? And you might say, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. Those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online, you've heard the truth. I mean, you've heard it today, if not at any other time. Chances are you've probably heard it before. You've heard about Jesus. Um, hopefully you've seen some really good examples of followers of Jesus that it's made a difference in their life. They're not, they're not perfect, but they're trying. I know that's the way I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to grow my relationship with Jesus. But you've not yet come to that place. And maybe today, even though I've been talking about how to help other people get to that place, you're at that place. And today is the day that God's dealing with your heart and he's saying, would you accept Jesus? Would you turn to him? We're all sinners. I'm not going to say you're a sinner. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus came to die to pay the price for our sins. And I would just say that if that's where you are in the process, today would be a great day to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you say, I am a believer. I'm a Christian. Are you growing in that? Or has your growth been stunted? I could preach a whole other message on it, and I will not right now. But if you feel like you're kind of stagnated, you're kind of stunted, you're not growing as you really think you should, why is that? There's a lot of factors that could be there. One of those, though, is our relationship with each other. Maybe you need to spend a little bit more time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get part, Become part of a group, a group of men or a group of women or, or other believers, and you get together, and you're just there to encourage one another. You're not a loner. You're not the lone ranger going through life trying to serve Jesus by yourself. If you wrestle with that and say, I don't know exactly what it is. I got some good relationship, but I'm just feel like I'm not growing. Come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Jan. Talk to one of our elders. We'd be glad to pray with you and, and help you to try to figure out why is it that you're struggling in your growth and what advice we can give you about what you can do to help grow in the Lord. So the second question I want to ask you is, how are you helping others in their relationships with Jesus? See, that's what it's all been about. This whole message. A relationship with Jesus is a process. If we already know Jesus, how are you helping others in their process? If they don't know Jesus yet, what are you doing? That's what we've been talking about this whole series. Are you planting seeds? Are you watering seeds that have already been planted? Are you shining your light? Are you being open to being used by Jesus to help point them to him? And then... Again, it's not the main point today, but in your brothers and sisters, how are you helping your brothers and sisters grow in the Lord? Because you can say, you know what? I'm doing great. I've got some great relationships and I'm growing in the Lord. Things are going good. But you might look around you and say, there's a brother or sister. There's, there's one of my fellow that it seems like they're struggling. I'm not going to get in their business, you know, in any way that they don't want me to or whatever. But I just want to be there to encourage them, support them, let them know I'm praying for them and I'm there for them. So how are you helping others in their relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of those messages that as we end, it's not like come to the altar, make a commitment because whatever, okay? It's something that we need to meditate on, pray about, and go out and do. So that's what I challenge you to do. But here's what we are going to do, right? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to invite my wife, Pastor Jan, and our elders to come. If we have any other prayer team members that would like to come. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song or sing a song. And as we often do, I ask you to meditate on what God's spoken today, to respond in any way that you would like to. If you want to come down here and not join with one of us, but just find a place and make a commitment. But 
I want to encourage you to apply what we've talked about today. But we're going to be down here for the next couple of moments specifically to pray with you about anything you would like prayer about. If you want prayer for yourself, there's someone else that you love that you're concerned about, we would like to pray with you. So we're going to give you that opportunity now and in just a couple moments, one of us will come up and conclude the service. Amen. As we close today, I just want to remind you that the impact we have on other people's lives, whether we're talking about people that don't know Jesus yet or even people that do and we just want to be encouragement and support one another, it's not just our words, but it's our character and how we live. And that's why our own walk with God, growing closer to Him and becoming more like Jesus is so important. So I just want to challenge you like I challenged myself. Jesus, help me to grow closer to you this week. Help me to become more like you this week and use me to help others do the same. Let's pray that together. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together. We thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, but such a wonderful sense of your presence today. And Father, we pray, dear Lord God, that as we go out into our world, that you would use us as your ambassadors. Father, help us to grow closer to you. Help us, Lord God, to become more like Jesus. Help us to develop stronger relationships with other believers, Lord God, and grow in the ones that we have, that we are there for each other. We've got that source of strength that comes from you, but it comes through other people. We've got people we can call on with our problems. We've got people we can call on to pray with and to have pray with us. But Father, I pray that as we do all those things, that your love and your light would shine through us and who we are and what we do, but also in what we say. God, I pray that we would go into our world every day willing and ready to be used by you to help other people in their process of coming to know you and growing in that relationship and give us wisdom on how we can best do that, Lord God. And Father, I pray that you would give us the privilege of sharing Jesus with others. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us not to get discouraged when we try to and it seems like nothing is happening. To know, Lord God, that the seed has been planted. You're at work. There will be a result. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 